This is the Alone With Our Principles podcast, episode 17. You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms and most convenient definitions. I'm Eric. And I'm Chris, and we're both elementary school principals in the Asperia Unified School District in Southern California. On this episode, we talk about facts and misconceptions about special education with Special Education Director Matt Fetters and Coordinator Tari McCollum. Alone With Our Principles is unofficially sponsored by Netflix, the pandemic's movie theater. Mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. So far this semester, he has been absent nine times. I'm the principal, man. All right, and it is an exciting day here in Alone with Our Principals Land. This is our first episode that we're recording from our new Third Avenue studios. So it's an exciting day. It is. So if you sound like we're sitting next to you, it's because we are. That's right. <laughs> We've got a whole uh, bunch of sound effects. Eric, why don't we why don't we introduce our our listeners to our new sound effect box that I'm sure we're going to abuse? Why don't we do that do that by saying along with us also as always is our fact checker and editor, Miss Carrie Lewis. Thunderous applause. Thank you, guys. All right, what else do we have there, Eric? The oh, sound effect. See. What other uh, sound effects we got okay, to play with? Okay, so um, because we're witty and funny, I'm sure we'll use this one quite a bit. <laughs> we got some laughter here. <laughs> because we're not always so witty and funny, we might use this one. Absolutely. Or. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so this is going to be. This is going to be. And then, of course, of for, for sure. our, our our throwback sequences. <laughs> The famous harp gliss. Oh, man. This is going to get us in trouble. Oh, it definitely is. It uh, definitely is. Now, if you remember last weekend, uh, Matt and Tariq, feel free to chime in on this. Yeah, if you listen to our last week's episode, we talked about a couple of TV shows that uh, characters reminded me of. Eric, have you had a chance to watch Modern Family yet? Um, I watched the clips that you sent me, <laughs> which were hilarious. Um, I really enjoyed the Phil, is it Phil-isms? Phil, Philosophy. Uh, Philosophy. Yes. The, the one in particular... Um, it, you know, if life gives you lemonade, make lemons, and life will be like, what? what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was probably my favorite. And then, um, I don't know if we said this while we were recording, but afterwards you uh, you mentioned the show Shit's Creek. Absolutely. And so I've watched a couple of episodes, and so far I'm not invested. Are either of you familiar with that? I just finished our second season. And what do you think? Um, I'm not sure if I'm totally invested yet either, but <laughs> I, I'm still watching. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, well... Um, let's see. Um, our guests here, as we said, Matt Fetters, the director of special education, and Tree McCollum, the coordinator of special education. So let's start with you, Matt. Why don't you tell us about your background and what brought you into the profession and to where you are today? All right. Um, I, you know, I grew up on the East Coast, uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland, and went to school in, uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, at Jacksonville University. And I originally went in... Um, under the uh, degree of Naval Sciences, which is uh, planning on going into ROTC. And uh, after a couple of months of college, I uh, felt like I enjoyed college life more than waking up and doing PT and things like that. <laughs> <morning>. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I switched my major and um, I always enjoyed, you know, adventure, doing different things. Um, and uh, it somehow kind of narrowed down that uh, being a teacher, you could do just about something new and different every day. And so that's kind of where I started in education and then uh, did about eight years in the classroom as an elementary teacher, uh, moved up into uh, site administration. And at some point, the directorship opened up and I, I thought I should apply for it and, and give it a try. So that's what has led me here. And here we are. How so. did you end up uh, in California? You were in Florida and Washington, D.C. area? Yeah, so um, I went to a school in Florida under that, uh, it was the only school I could get into, so, uh, <laughs> you know, it was an exciting journey down to Florida, but I, nobody can complain about going to school in Florida. And then um, in my senior year, California changed their teaching ratio down to 20 to 1, and uh, our district, Hesperia, actually was recruiting in different parts of the country. And they went to University of Florida, which was just about an hour from where I was going to school. And 
they handed me a $20,000 or $29,000 contract. And at the time, teachers in Florida were still making less than $20,000 a year. So I thought I was a rich man. There you go. Big it, time. Moved across country. Yeah, my wow. aunt, uh, my aunt, my uh, mom's sister actually went to the University of Florida. She's a, a gator. All right. So, uh, yeah, she taught me at an early age that Florida State is not no. not evil, evil. She had a couple of names for them that aren't appropriate for a G-rated <laughs> podcast. So, Taree, uh, what about you? What about your story that led you to Hesperia Unified and the coordinator of special education position? Um, well, my mother tells a story of my first day of kindergarten that I came home and said I was going to be a teacher. And my whole life, that's what my goal has been, and every decision I have made has been toward being a teacher. Uh, so that was from, from the first day of kindergarten. Um, I did grow up in Georgia, and the summer I graduated from high school, my father transferred jobs, and we transferred to California. Um, at first, I was not very happy about it, but now I am very happy about it. <laughs> um, went to college out here, and I, when I was looking for a job, they were actually very hard to find. There would be 100 applicants for one particular position. I was lucky enough to get hired at Aspira Junior High at that time when sixth grade was still at the middle school. And that's how I started my career here in Asperia. The notice, I went to Cal State San Bernardino and the notice came across at the Career Center. I applied um, on Wednesday, interviewed on Thursday, got a phone call on Friday morning and I started teaching on Monday. That's the, about as fast a track as you can get there. In 1992 yeah. and been here ever since. All right. Um, something I'd be meaning to ask both of you, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but neither of you was a special education teacher, correct? That's correct. Right. So how did, how did you get off the regular education path onto the special education path? Uh, well, for me, I started, uh, I went into administration about 13 years ago, started at Eucalyptus, and then I uh, moved to Mesa Grande Elementary School where um, we house one of our district autism programs. And when I was administrator there, the students in the autism program just stole my heart. I just loved it. I loved working with the families. I loved working with the students. I um, was really happy there. And then Matt came to talk to me one day because the person in my position was retiring um, and suggested that I apply for the position. And so I did, and I'm loving it. I learned something new every single day. What about you, Matt? Um, you know, I, I, I think when I was a teacher, I was always uh, one of those approachable teachers that when uh, a special ed teacher needed a, a place to mainstream a student, uh, they usually would, would come my way. And uh, so I was always, I, I think, friendly and open to, to working with kids with different needs. Um, when I became an administrator, it was at Holly Bell Elementary. And, uh, at the time, and still now, they house the county's deaf and hard of hearing program. Um, I, again, uh, I was very uh, kid-centered and really made an effort to include them in the school and not just think of them as those county kids. And uh, just really developed a heart for, for serving you know, kids with different needs. Um, I've always had really strong interpersonal skills. I feel like I can you know, work well with others in challenging situations. And when the directorship came open, I talked with my mentor, Val, and uh, she felt like I would be a good fit for it. She knew that there was a lot of, uh, often a, a lot of conflict with parents, and she felt like I, I could handle it. Yeah, from working with you, Matt, that is definitely one of your skill sets. I mean, you've got exactly the right personality for it. And you've just started school, and the path you choose now may be the one you follow for the rest of your life. And that will bring us to a feature that we do every week here called The Quiz, uh, designed to uh, get to know our guests a little bit better in a, in a fun and mirthful sort of way. So let's start with you, Taree. Tell us about a memorable story from when you were a student in school. Well, believe it or not, in high school, I was part of a group called the Lehigh Singers in Brookshire, and they were a sing and dance group with a jazz background. We had um, a whole band of, you know, trumpets, trombones, saxophones, and we actually toured all of the southern United States um, for weeks at a time, and I loved it. And my uh, siblings were also part of this group when they were in high school, so it was kind of a family tradition to be part of this group. And uh, I loved it and experienced a lot and have a lot of memorable moments from those travels. And what about you, Matt? Well, first I want to know, did you ever use jazz fingers? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> jazz hands. Jazz yeah, there yes. you go. Yes. Proud Mary, I've got the dance down to Proud Mary anytime you want to see it. <laughs> 
She said anytime you want to right. say it. I'll stick with uh, things she may regret saying someday for 500, please. At least 500, absolutely. <laughs> um, I lived in, uh, in kind of a semi-urban area, rural, um, urban rural, you know, right on the edge. Um, I guess we call that suburban nowadays. But uh, um, every day after school, my brothers and I, I was one of five brothers, we would go down to our creek that was in, in our backyard. And uh, in, the, in the winter, it would freeze over. And um, I was the heaviest of all my brothers. And so I was usually the one that got to walk out on the ice first to, to make sure. <laughs> it's good for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are Matt. there any times that it wasn't safe? Uh, well, that's actually where this story Here we go. Uh, I was walking out um, onto the ice and actually fell straight through, uh, which I think was probably my first time that that had ever happened. But I was able to, to get out. Um, my brothers thankfully helped me make it home. And when I got home, I realized that, uh, that in my pocket was my library book. Um, so, you know, I, I, I couldn't think of any real hilarious experiences, but it still sticks out in my mind having to go into the library the next day and uh, approach Mrs. Foy, who was our librarian, um, the type of librarian that would uh, smoke uh, in the library when no kids <laughs> were in there. So, you know, you walk into the library with the the lingering smoke and walk up to Mrs. Foy and I, I had to show her my wet library book and um, she did make me uh, purchase the library book and I, I remember um, it only cost me something like 35 cents so it, it was you know kind of lucky that way but that's always stuck in my mind is going to talk to Mrs. Foy. I have a question, first of all. Why were you taking your library book out on the ice? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I, in my picture of falling through the ice, I, was, uh, I went to a private school and I wore a uniform, and I was still in my uniform. So I think it was one of those days that we, we got home, Mom didn't remind us to change into play clothes, and we set off for, uh, for the creek in our school <laughs> uniforms. Do you remember the name of the book? No, I don't. War and Peace. There you go. I just have to add also that I had a first grade teacher named Mrs. Foy. Really? Did she smoke? No. <laughs> Not that we're aware of. <laughs> All right. So our next uh, quiz question, Matt, I'll start with you this time. What's the best job you've ever had outside of education? Um, yeah, I, I've had two great jobs. I've worked at an animal hospital. Um, but the, uh, the best job that I probably ever had was right as I finished up high school and before I went off to college. Uh, for about 18 months, I was a Zamboni driver at uh, our local ice rink. So I started out as a guard, and uh, right after graduating, um, I was going to community college, and the, the nighttime Zamboni driver position opened up where I got to... Uh, got to close down the, the ice rink and get it resurfaced for the, the figure skaters the next morning. Okay, two stories in. I think we've got a new nickname for Matt here. Um, henceforth, you'll be known as the Iceman. Yes. <laughs> Going from falling through the creek to a Zamboni driver. That's true. I didn't realize that. So when we invite Matt to an IEP from now on, we just say the Iceman cometh? Exactly. Hang on. <laughs> All right, Tari, how about you? Uh, best job outside of education? Well, my daughter suggested that I share my best and worst job. Sure. Sounds good. So my Are they the same job? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so my best job was I actually worked for a man named Dr. Lionel Ketchum in, a, in his doctor's office in college. And it was very much a family. His wife did the books, his daughter worked there, and they treated all their employees like family. And for a college kid, it was really great because it also included lunch. He would provide lunch. He had a kitchen He would because he wanted us to answer the phone. So lunch was included. They would have us over for dinner, Christmas parties. It was just very much a family atmosphere. And he was very flexible with my school schedule if I had a morning class or an evening class. So I really enjoyed my time working for Dr. Ketchum in Ontario. My worst job was as a bank teller. And possibly because I was robbed on Christmas Eve at gunpoint. Oh, <laughs> so that was very scary. Honestly, though, I think it was even scarier for me having to go to court to testify versus the actual few seconds that I was in front of, you know, the man with the gun giving him the money. Um, 
the week long trial, I think, was just as scary as being robbed at gunpoint. So those are my best and worst. Oh, man. All right. And our last question, we actually have a new question that we're introducing today. So you guys get to be the guinea pigs on this one. We wanted to change up our quiz a little bit. Uh, so we'll start with you again, Matt. Uh, what movie, TV show, or music group inspires memories from your high school years? The, the overarching um, soundtrack to my life was Bon Jovi. Um, Slippery When Wet came out when I uh, was just entering middle school. Again, Slippery with the ice references. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, and then uh, I really enjoyed the movie Young Guns, and uh, the, I think the soundtrack had um, had. Uh, Bon Jovi on that. And, Young uh, Guns. Oh, wait. Emilio Estevez. And, oh, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. okay. And Cowboy. Cowboy That's right. Yeah, and my, um, my brothers, uh, I had two older brothers that uh, I was always in the carpool with them going to school. And so I spent a, a lot of mornings and afternoons uh, sitting in the back seat driving home with uh, nothing but Bon Jovi playing. So that's it for me. What about you, Tree? Movie, TV show, or music group? I'm a little older than Matt, so Bon, <laughs> bon Jovi was much later for me. Um, ACDC Back in Black. What? For me, wow. because... That is surprising. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely love some ACDC, and my school colors were black and gold. And so every Friday night at the football game, that was kind of our, our call to fight, was they would play ACDC's Back in Black, and that meant the team was coming, let's rock and roll, it's Friday night football. Nice. Well, as uh, far as TV, one thing that we don't really have as much now that was really big in the late 70s, early 80s was like the variety show in which there would be skits and songs, you know, like Sonny and Cher, Donnie and Marie. So I remember a lot of those kind of shows, and I really enjoyed those kind of shows, but we don't really have too many of those anymore. I think this might be a first where you mentioned Donnie and Marie yes. and ACDC, like in the same <laughs> sentence. Exactly right. Uh, I remember Donnie Marie, though, the little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll. Um, I don't know, Matt and Eric, you might be a little bit young for that. There you go. Um, yeah, I definitely remember them. I had such a crush on Marie Osmond. Oh, my goodness. And I on Donnie. <laughs> well, being an ice skater, uh, I had a poster of Dorothy Hamill. <laughs> <laughs> I was really into her. Did you have the haircut? <laughs> I think I might have had a Katarina Vitt poster one, one time. There you yeah. go. All right. Well, thank you. That concludes our quiz for the day. What about you, Chris? What well, about this me? This is a new question for oh, us. Oh, all right. All right. We'll, we'll take it, it back and forth. Um, the, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the 80s movies because um, I could relate. Obviously, on this podcast, we've talked about Ferris Bueller's Day Off at length. Weren't you like, like 32 in 1980? You're hilarious, Eric. Oh, wait. Wrong one. Hold on. No, I was, I graduated high school in 1983. So I liked, uh, you know, the eighties, the John, John Hughes movies that came out during that era. But the one that, that I remember watching was uh, fast times at Ridgemont high. I loved that movie. It's one of those where there's a character for everybody. Um, but that movie, not, not completely appropriate at times. Um, <laughs> in fact, through most of it, now that I think about it. Um, but all the scenes with, Judge Reinhold working at All American Burger because I had worked a couple of fast food jobs, so I related to that one. Um, so, so a lot. What's the line about a hundred percent of his breakfast? It's not a hundred percent guaranteed. Um, the eggs were a little bit undercooked. So anyway, um, so yeah, all those movies: Fast Times, Ridgemont High, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, and that. What about you, Eric? Yeah, I think it's no secret at this point that we love the '80s uh, genre yeah. for sure. Um, the one story that comes to mind really quickly. Uh, the year was 1992, and Guns N' Roses and Metallica were taking what was like billed as the the uh, the tour of the decade because like the two pioneers of rock were going to tour together. Right. I'm 16 years old, and I wanted to go with a buddy of mine, and I just got my driver's license, and I was completely in shock. And my mom actually said yes when I said, "Can I drive with my friend down to the Coliseum to see Guns N' Roses and Metallica?" And oh, can I take Dad's truck because my car is pretty old. And so she let me go and, wow. uh, we were, I was mind blown by the things that I saw and experienced because <laughs> I was a pretty naive 16 year old, but the show was fantastic. We saw the show and went straight home nice. uh, to this day. I still can't, I have a 15 year old now and the thought of even considering that is crazy. To oh, me. Yeah. So I still think about like, wow. No, I've, I've got a story that I'll, I'll say for another time, but the long and short of it is I was in high school in New Jersey. I was a sophomore and a friend of mine and I snuck from New Jersey to Madison Square Garden to see Sticks uh, on the, I think, Cornerstone tour. Um, 
my parents didn't find out about this until I was about 35, um, when I guess the statute of limitations on sneaking on the train into New York City um, had run out. But yeah, it's the same time type of thing you're saying, Eric, is, you know, now that you've got, when you have kids that are that age, it's like, oh my goodness, I would have freaked out if they uh -huh. had tried any of that. We sink, we swim, we rise, we fall, we meet our fate together. All right. So that brings us to the actual main topic for our conversation today, which is why we invited you to in. And, you know, we wanted to spend a little bit of time. We recognize what a big part of public education uh, serving our students with special needs is. And so we're hoping to maybe get some insights and, and learn a couple things from, from you two today. So um, I think you talked about this a little bit already, maybe in your kind of introduction, but what inspired you to uh, get into the field of special education specifically? And this is not like a taking turns, whoever feels like they have something to say, go ahead and just jump on in. All right. So yeah, I, I, I did allude to it earlier that, um, you know, it wasn't as, as much that I had this this direct passion or need to uh, to work with special needs kids as much as I was a good uh, a good problem solver and a strong people person and um, if there's any place that requires a lot of that it's special ed you know mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, meetings a lot of well, I wouldn't say a lot but uh, you know some parents do disagree with what they feel they're getting in regards uh, to the services for their kid and always feel like there could be more and um, I think I was helpful in understanding their position, trying to lead them to understand uh, where the district's position was. And, uh, and I think my, my passion for working in special ed was just uh, kind of always there, not specifically calling it special ed, but just uh, being interested in working with kids that have differing abilities and, and knowing that somehow I can make a positive impact. And I think that, especially especially in your position, Matt, as you know, as a director, you you spend a lot more time. I think it's fair to say working with the parents versus the students, right? And I, you know, I, I can't help but wonder for you because I, I agree with Chris. I think that you know we both respect you greatly for the way that you're able to do that. We've all sat with you in those right. meetings many times. Yeah. Um, and I was just wondering if you had like some advice or like what is what is it that you think of is is the best skill, the best quality to take into those conversations when you're talking to a parent who, when we're talking about their child, we're talking about their child with special needs and they care deeply and passionately about their child and they're willing to advocate deeply and passionately and, and being able to hear them, honor what they have to say, but at the same time, you know, honor what we can do as a district and the services we can provide. Um, you know, we, when you enter an IEP, the IEP document itself, you always bring a draft. Um, but the, the law is very clear that you cannot come into that meeting having predetermined what your plan is going to be. You have to enter assuming you're going to hear new information and that your plan may change. So I think um, the, the first thing is always entering with that open mind, understanding that you might have um, a perfect game plan laid out, but you have to be totally willing to, uh, to let go of that um, as, as soon as a new idea or a new thought comes up that that might change that. Um, in addition to that, I just think understanding that behind every angry parent, there is a child. And, you know, it, it, for, for those of us in the room that have been parents, um, I, I think we can all recognize how if there's any time that, uh, that you're going to lose yourself and uh, possibly not act as professional or as uh, human as you should be, it usually involves your own children. And so I just have to put myself in the shoes of, of those parents and, uh, and recognize that, you know, as angry as they are, they're, they're doing it for the most important reason, and that's their own child. Well said. Yeah, yeah. no, good. Tree, anything to add? Matt's taught me a lot. <laughs> I think it's important sometimes we go into the meeting, as he said, with kind of an idea but it's so important to just stop and listen to that parent and hear all of their concerns, to hear what they have to say about their child, because sometimes the student is different at home than at school. And so working together as a team versus saying, this is what we're doing as, as a school to make sure we hear the parent and, and really come together as a team is real important. Um, it's, it's hard sometimes because we have different needs at school sometimes than maybe than the parent does at home. So trying to find that common ground and trying to figure out how can we best service this student 
and to help them be successful in their educational career. Um, just again, like Matt said, just keeping it focused on what does the kid need, not necessarily what the teachers need, not necessarily what the school needs or what the parent needs, but what does the student need to be successful is the thing that he always reminds me of and keeps me focused on as the student. Yeah, it's something we think about, you know, in administration and even with our teachers that when, and I know we'll get into this uh, in a little bit more, um, when teachers are observing students and they're thinking about maybe students that need special education or need other steps or need other supports, uh, what advice would you have, not just for teachers, but for administrators, as far as what to be looking for and when to take each step along the process? You know, whatever, I, I don't know if I have specific recommendations, but I, I think the, the most important is take it slow. Um, special education is not a magic place that fixes everything. Um, and often I think uh, what I find is, is that students get into special education and that is a success at that moment in time because, um, because they're getting the help they need. But at the same time, often special education uh, starts a child on a course that is different than the general education plan. And, um, that may mean that they have less opportunities uh, as they move up in higher grades. It might mean that um, because they now carry this label that, uh, that teachers just inherently think that they um, uh, maybe don't require as much rigor or, uh, or can't handle as much rigor. And so I think it's always important not to just aim for special ed as the goal, but try to figure out what can we do for the kid now to try to support them and avoid special education uh, for as long as possible. For me, I think it's very important that the teacher works with the psychologist to figure out why do they think the student needs help. Does the student need help because of bad attendance or poor attendance? Does the student need help because of some environmental factors? Does the student need help because they have a true disability. Special education is for students with a disability. And I know personally as a general education teacher, I thought, oh, you know, they, they're behind in reading. They need to, to go to a special education teacher and work in a reading group. And that's really, that was my misconception. That's really not what special education is for. Um, that would be tutoring or extra reading groups. Special education is for students that have a true disability. I think that um, this is a particularly relevant conversation right now in the middle of this pandemic. You know, one of the things that's been kind of a, an aha for me recently is when you're talking, for example, now to teachers about kids who are trying to re-engage in school, right? Because we know that the, the, the epidemic within the pandemic is kids disconnecting from school, not participating. But you take five kids across your campus who haven't engaged in two months. And when you really investigate, you're going to find five very different reasons why each of those kids, it may be because of access, it may be because of parent support, it may be because the parents are working three jobs to keep the lights on, it may be because um, of poverty. I mean, there's all these reasons why kids may not be engaging, and you really have to be a good, good at diagnosing because one blanket solution. And just like, you know, there's a misconception, I think, that, you know, we put them in special education, that can solve everything, right? And so we have to really look at those kids, like you said, with a real critical... Yeah. And, and you said, Eric, misconceptions. And uh, I think one of the things that we wanted to ask both of you about is what are some common uh, misconceptions about special education that maybe we can educate the public on um, so that we see it in a more broad perspective? And maybe even starting with special education is a pretty broad umbrella. I mean, it's everything from students with a speech IEP all the way to the most um, severe cases. So maybe start with that. And then what are some misconceptions? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Chris. Um, you know, I think uh, last time I looked, about 45% of, of the students identified uh, as special ed in our district are simply in there uh, for speech and language services. And so um, I often will go around and say, you know, we, we've crossed the, the 2800 mark or the 2900 mark, and the newest number is we finally crossed uh, having 3,000 students uh, with IEPs wow. in our district. And many of us probably jumped to that's 3,000 very intense students, but you know, half of them are you know, uh, students with uh, mild disabilities that just require a little something different um, in order to, to make progress. Um, 
Other misconceptions that come to mind, I, I, I do think um, across the, the country, because I, I do read that this isn't just a hysteria issue, special education is often where people think a, a child needs to go to get that extra help. But um, there's only 13 disabilities that actually qualify you for an IEP. And some of those are very broad. I mean, one, one is termed other health impairment, and that can be anything um, that impacts their ability to, to learn or progress. And that's kind of our catch-all for our, our students with ADHD and um, um, uh, maybe some other minor uh, physical impairments that require uh, some additional help. But, but overall, um, like Tari was saying, they, a lot of our students are not disabled, they're just different. And, um, and special education isn't necessarily the place for them. The problem is, is in, in public education, funding is limited and we don't always have enough money um, to, to put every program in place that we want to. But if there was something that I think could, could help everybody, it's ensuring that we have those general education supports in place um, so that we can have a, a place that we can tell parents, this is, this is what we're gonna do for your child um, to get them help, rather than just reaching that, that level of saying they require a special education, a specific place. And um, you know, we, we use softer terms like disability nowadays, um, which, you know, in the past it was handicap, and um, none of our none of the disability categories have changed. But I, I don't think our parents or our, our teachers, if you say, do you really think your child has a handicapping condition? I don't think they would say yes. My child's handicapped, but um, but because special education often is the only place to send a child, uh, we all want our children to be special ed, but. It's really for those students that have a disability or that a little bit harsher term, a, a handicap. Right. So there's certainly some work for us to do to help educate parents about what that really means, right? How that may or may not help advance their student. Yeah. I agree, Matt. The only thing I, w I do want to add is I know that our teachers in Hesperia do a really great job with working with our students and trying to find strategies to support all of our students. And I'm really proud of our teachers here in Hesperia Unified. Agreed. So uh, within special education, there every day, I know, um, as a site principal, and I know Chris would agree, there are amazing stories of successes and inspiration uh, amongst our staff and our students that are in the special education uh, world. Um, I would like to ask if each of you would be willing to just to share maybe a story that comes to mind about an inspirational student or family or somebody you've worked with in the past. I have many to share, but the, the main one I want to share is I, I did have a student when I was at Mesa Grande that was in the autism program. And the student was very impacted with autism and had a lot of struggles. Um, during the time that the student was at Mesa, um, was frequently eloping or running away from the classroom, uh, spent many hours outside with the student and we worked really hard to, to get the students some help. And to, we worked really hard with this student and this family. And the family worked very close with us. And so we worked with the student for several years. And then a few years ago, I attended one of our uh, high school graduations and saw this student walk across that stage. And to see all that work with this student pay off and see that student cross the stage and graduate was just so rewarding to see that all that work that carried on to middle school and high school and to see that student be successful was amazing. And something I want to add real quickly, because I know as elementary principals, it's very rare we get to see that final, at right. least for me, that final, because we see these kids sometimes in second grade, third grade, maybe up to sixth grade, then they go off to middle school and to high school. And um, sometimes they don't stay local or, you know, different things happen. So I know for me, it's, it's especially rewarding when you are able to follow a student all the way through high school. I know high school people get to work with these kids the last four years and see them cross. It's very rewarding, but I, it's especially rewarding for me because it just doesn't happen as often. No, it's something that we, whether it's special ed or regular ed, at the elementary school, like you're saying, Eric, 
you know, they leave us when they're in sixth grade and a whole lot can happen between <laughs> sixth grade and 12th grade. And we've seen, we, I, speaking for myself, I've been surprised both ways with students that leave sixth grade and you're going, oh my goodness, good luck in junior <laughs> high. And then you mm -hmm. see them graduate and go on to great things. And then there's others that it isn't quite the same way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's especially when you're talking about students in special education uh, to see the progress that they make, um, certainly by the time they graduate. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Um, no, it's funny that Tree brought up graduation because I'll talk uh, generally and then more specific. But in general, um, graduating and watching students walk across that stage <clears throat> has been the most rewarding. Um, I've been in this position eight years now, and for the past eight years, I, I have gone to every graduation. And it, uh, when you watch students walk across the stage that, you know, as an elementary administrator or as the director, I've seen the struggles that they've been through and I know the challenges that they've faced and, um, you know, it's, it's their own personal success and they definitely show it when they're walking across that stage. Um, but you do feel a, a little bit of your own success that this whole uh, public education system thing works and, and that you had a, a, a little something to do with that. And then on the, uh, the more specific side, um, you know, we have students in our district that are severely disabled and those disabilities, unfortunately, aren't gonna necessarily go away. But we also have students, um, you know, kids with ADHD, um, learning disabilities and speech impediments that with practice and time, um, a lot of those uh, weaknesses that, that they displayed during their schooling, um, you know, somewhat go away to where they live a very normal, typical life and no one would even know that they're in special education. And I, I can remember a student uh, with severe ADHD who, uh, you know, because of that, uh, ran into a lot of disciplinary issues and was awkward um, socially awkward, uh, you know, kind of rubbed on, on their peers, rubbed on the teacher. And I even remember the mom at one point sharing how much she loved her, her son, but that sometimes it was hard to like him. And, uh, and following the, the path of, of this child and watching them grow out of that awkwardness and uh, towards the end of their high school, start to feel some more success. And then uh, the families kept up with me and later finding out that uh, they had gone through college and that they actually got their doctorate and that they're now working at a university teaching other special educators. Um, I that's think awesome. that's been that's one of the most great. rewarding. And it really comes down to um, uh, two K through 12, uh, uh, just a group of dedicated people that never gave up on this student and every year having a different teacher, someone else finding something new, uh, a different strategy to work with this kid, and eventually something worked, something clicked, and it's great. Good. Yeah, great story. Just another really quick shout out for our, uh, not only our special education teachers, but our classified staff that work with our students every oh, day, definitely. just do an amazing job with our students with special needs. Yeah, no, and it's a cliche, you know, it takes a village, but in the special education realm, that's especially so because for every Absolutely. every special education teacher has a handful of, of assistants and administrators and district support. Uh, it, it truly is a team that takes care of our kids. Yeah. I'm a man of respect around here. They love me around here. I'm a swell guy. All right, so now it's time for a little bit of fun. Uh, with our extra credit question, uh, we try to throw in something uh, off the beaten path every week. So this week, we're going to keep it a little simple. Uh, what are your three favorite cookies of all time? And now we're talking, I know I'm looking at Tree, and I'm sure that in your family history in the South, you got like great granny's snickerdoodles or something. <laughs> but for the sake of this discussion, we're talking about store-bought cookies. Uh, so just top three. We'll start with you, Tree. Because you've got a box of something right there. I do. And I, I'm only going to say my top two store-bought, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I, I have allergies, and there's very few store-bought cookies I can eat. This one is called Chaco Libniz. I think it is a German cookie. It does say made in Germany. But, there you go. Um, they're wonderful. They do have staters, by the way. Um, my second favorite, again, would be Walker's um, Shortbread. 
Okay. Those are the basically the only two store-bought cookies that I can eat. So I will throw a plug in for my absolutely favorite cookies are my husband's homemade peanut butter cookies. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and just like that, she broke the rules. She That's right, right out of the She went out of bounds. What about you, Matt? You know, I growing up, I my mom would pack me lunch every day. And uh, it wasn't always the lunch I wanted. Um, <laughs> and, and that went right down to cookies. I... I never had an Oreo until, I don't know if it was my teens or not, but I had thousands of Hydrox cookies, mm -hmm. which is yes. the generic Oreo. And, fake Oreos, yes. Uh, yeah, fake Oreos. <laughs> so um, ever since the time that I, I've made my own money, I, I've never bought a fake Oreo in my life. <laughs> I always buy brand name Oreos, and I, I uh, am particularly affectionate to the double stuff. So that, that would be number one on my list. Um, another cookie that I had never tried, and I, I don't know if they if they are out on the East Coast or if it was another cookie my mom kept me away from, but the the mother's uh, circus animal cookies that are uh, dipped in the ice. Right, the, yes. The yeah, I know exactly ones. what you're talking about. Um, I could eat a bag of those any moment. <laughs> and, you know, with the Oreos, at least, uh, you've got the nice four columns of Oreos, and so you can keep very clear track of when you're running low. Fortunately or unfortunately. Right. Yes. With the mother's cookies, it, it's a very abrupt ending because <laughs> you, you, keep, you reach into the bag, you reach into the bag, and in your mind, you always know that at some point you're going to get down to one or two cookies, but... Occasionally, there's no pieces or anything, and you you think you've got another hand grab, and you reach in, and there's not a cookie left in that bag. So it's been a little um, uh, troublesome over my <laughs> You get a couple of handful of the little sprinkles that have fallen yeah, off. Yeah, so you just push hard into the bag and hope you have some sprinkles that come, <laughs> come up with down the hatch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, the, the third one, and again, I, I don't think I, I learned when this cookie was invented, but at some point I traded my Hydrox cookies for a, uh, a vanilla cream-filled wafer, and uh, I thought it was just the best thing. And when I was like, where did these come from, or, you know, where did you get these, to find out that these have been on, on the shelf uh, my whole entire life, and I had never been exposed to them, uh, just really surprised me. But yeah, double stuff, circus animals, and any sort of cream-filled wafer cookie uh, fits my bill. <laughs> All it has to be is a wafer and cream-filled, and he's in. That's it. Oh, that's right. right what about you, Eric? What, what company. Yeah. Um, so, you know what? I Yeah, I, um, I I almost could take one of Matt's answers, like, verbatim. Um, I, you know, I was going to say, certainly, circus animal cookies are right at the top for many of the reasons he just mentioned. I mean, you can just kind of just sit down with the bag and, you know, a couple at a time. And then you get to a point when there's like only so many left in the bag and you're like, well, I, I can't stop now. I'm not a quitter. Yeah. So, <laughs> who's going to put back a bag with like six cookies in it? So you just finish them, but they're very addictive in that way. You can just kind of nibble them. And, um, Oreos, you know, I know the, the Oreo fans, there's very two clear camps. There's like the, the regular and then the double stuffed. I'm definitely on the double stuffed side. I've been known to take two double stuffs and take one of the cookies off and, Make a quadruple, quadruple stuff. I mean, <laughs> dunk that in your milk and you're, you're golden. I, uh, speaking of golden, I'm also partial to the golden Oreos because I'm not a huge chocolate person. So, like, if I had a choice, I'd probably pick the, I think they're called golden or blonde yeah, so. Oreos. Golden um, so there's that. Um, and then also, uh, Mother's also makes, an, it's called an English tea cookie. Have you ever had that one? It's just a, it's kind of a, I think it's like a vanilla cookie, but it's got a little thin layer of frosting in the middle. Um, so those are, are delicious, probably my top three. And I will just say my version of the Hydrox was the True Blues. You could get True Blues, I think it's like a Stater Brothers, and it was like 500 cookies for like three bucks. You know? so, so yeah, there was always a, a bucket of True Blues in the kitchen yeah. when I was growing up. Well, I'm, I'm also in the Oreo camp. That, it, by far and away, Oreos are number one. And, and I'm sort of very, I'm as much of a snooty Oreo lover as it's possible to be when you're talking about cookies but I'm not a fan of all of the extra strawberry. No pumpkin spice? No, you? peanut butter. No. And I'm not saying they aren't good because the gingerbread Oreos that come out around Christmas time are absolute heaven. I just wish they'd give them a different name. Oreo is the chocolate cookie with yeah. the white filling. Double stuff I'll go with because that's just more of a good thing. 
But when you start getting the strawberry milkshake ones, they're all good, but call them something else. Oreo is a very specific thing. And kind of what you guys were alluding to about the getting to the bottom of the bag with Oreos, if you look at it, and I'm kind of borrowing from Brian Regan's Fig Newton routine, a serving size of Oreos is two cookies. I mean, come on, who eats two cookies? I mean, I think on the calorie count on the back, they should just put how many calories in the whole bag? If it says like 9,500, I'm good with that. Just let me know what the worst case scenario is and, and, and I can do the math from there. I mean, there's just no point. I mean, okay, two, oh, these are only 140 calories. It's like, yeah, per wafer, not including the cream filling or whatever. It's like, don't, don't even bother. Uh, second, the, um, the Pepperidge Farm, you know, the white bags of them with all the different, the Sausalito cookies, which are the chocolate chip macadamia nut ones. Those are amazing. And the good news there is they only come in bags of eight. So you're probably paying about a buck and a half per cookie, but you can only do so much damage because even I'm not going to buy five bags of them. I'm going to buy one bag, take it home. Now it might not make it through the whole car ride home, but I've only done so much damage at that point. And then uh, my third one is we're going old school because I don't know that these even exist anymore. But when I was growing up in New Jersey, there was a cookie called Fudge Towns. They, they were... Um, kind of like flower shaped, but it was a sandwich cookie. Um, it was a thicker, thicker cookie than an Oreo though. And it was almost soft. And then it was filled with just fudge filling. And I remember being a little kid when, cause they put so much fudge in it that it starts seeping out the little hole in the middle of the flower at the top. And if you look at it the right way and with a certain amount of, I guess if you've eaten enough pixie sticks and you're hopped up on sugar, the little button in the middle looks like a little chocolate belly button. Um, I don't know why this, I don't know why this is an image that sticks in my head from my childhood, but it's the little chocolate belly buttons in the middle of a fudge down. And, and I remember on the box, there was, a, a, a the cowboy character. I don't, I don't know if he had fudge town, fudge town, the cowboy or whatever his name was, probably not the most appropriate. <laughs> oh, there's only room. This fudge town ain't big enough for the two of us. But I don't know if you had a name or not, but yeah, Fudge Town Cookies, but I don't think they make those anymore. You know, I think we would be remiss, especially at this time of the year, if we don't at least give an honorable mention to Girl Scout Cookies. I don't know how any of you feel oh, about yeah. that. But, you know, the lemonades that came out, I don't think they've been around that long, last few years maybe. But I don't, li- I don't like lemon. I don't eat lemon bars, lemon yeah. cookies, but I can eat a whole sleeve of those lemonade cookies. And they have these new ones now. They're, I don't know what they're called, but they're... It tastes like French toast. Oh, I don't know. Uh, those. Amazing. Yeah. See, I'm not, when it comes to Girl Scout cookies, I'm partial to the Thin Mints. You throw those in your Frozen. freezer. Yeah, yeah. You freeze them and then crumble them up on vanilla ice cream. Sure. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah. Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. For sure. The All right. Thing, the only problem I have with Girl Scout cookies is the time of year they come out. I, I think the Girl Scouts have some, uh, uh, some conspiracy with trying to break, um, New Year's resolutions. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you just reach February. You've been keeping the weight off for four full weeks, and then you know you get hit with the Girl Scout cookies. So I, that's the only reason I, I, I'm well, not a fan. I, I ordered some recently, and you know now because of the pandemic, a lot of them are doing mail order, you know, versus going into your local Stater Brothers. And so, you know, it's one flat rate for if you order five boxes of cookies, but if you order six boxes, shipping's free. So, I mean, of course, you might as well, well go big. So I just get one of everything. You'd you know? be crazy not to. Absolutely. It makes financial sense. Yes. <laughs> they even have gluten-free ones now. Gluten. delicious. Gluten-free <laughs> cookies. <laughs> I think that's how we all feel about that. Yeah. We, went, we went to the cricket sound effect there. for those <laughs> I don't know what gluten is, but it's delicious. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt Tree, thank you so much for being our guest today. This was a lot of fun, uh, yep. a lot of great information about special education, first and foremost. And I think on behalf of Eric and Carrie and myself, we want to thank you for the hard work that you do uh, with our special education staff in the district. So thank you. And thank you for being Agreed. here with us today. Thanks thank for you. having us. That's the fact All right. So that brings us to the part of the episode where we are going to do a little bit of fact checking. So I know that you have been listening attentively. Miss Carrie, what do you got for us today? I have several. I actually probably had quite too many, but I'm not going to fact check everything that they we gave us. We appreciate that. Yes. It's golden. <laughs> so let's start with Fudge Town history. The Fudge Town cookie yes. that Chris mentioned. This is the belly button cookie. Yeah, the chocolate belly button. <laughs> I'll look up a picture later. I'll show you. I'm not kidding. This is Burry's Cookie Company. Is it an Audi button or an any? An Audi. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, this is being put on the Facebook page, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Burry's Cookie Company, Elizabeth, New Jersey. It's actually the original Girl Scout cookie producer, which created Thin Mints. 
And you'll always have to be patient with me with my pronunciations. Merged with Salerno and McGowan Biscuit Company, um, forming General Biscuit Brands in 1985. And I just want to say thank you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the next fact check I have for you is Young Guns song, and I had it wrong. I'm, I'm so disappointed in myself. But it is actually um, Bon Jovi's Blaze of Glory. And I would love for Eric to give us a little sample if he could. Would you now? Yes. <laughs> Give me a minute. I'll pull it up on YouTube. <laughs> I think you actually said that it had young guns in the song, and, and you actually the sang word that. Young guns mm-hmm. does come up in the song. That's yes. right. So I guess you're saving the audience. So thank you for that. The audience <laughs> can search YouTube Blaze of Glory. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and then we were thinking about. Well, we are actually trying to figure out when Matt was talking about vanilla wafers, and I think we probably all were thinking different things. Um, the ones that I found that I'm actually very intrigued by is Vortman's, and I didn't know they had so many flavors. So I'm actually extremely excited about uh, this new cookie in my life because they actually have a chocolate and raspberry wafer. They have a key lime wafer cookie, and I'm going to be all about it. Yeah, so. that sounds really good. Yeah, and we so- probably will not be able to find them in Southern California. You know what? That's one of the things I love about the global world we live in. We can get so many things delivered to our right. country. <laughs> Nowadays, especially. Even better. It'll just come yes. to the door. All right. That's it. That's what I have for you today. I do want to say that um, this is this has been fun recording in uh, Third Avenue Studios here in Hesperia today. I do want to give a quick shout out to my mom, who after episode after episode of her calling me saying that, you know, I like listening to your podcast in the car, but because of the microphone... Uh, sometimes she's got to turn the volume up and down, um, depending on how far um, the guest at the time was from the microphone. Mom, hopefully the balance is a lot better this time, and you'll be able to drive with both hands on the wheel because we know how important that is. And mom, I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I've heard about your mom, we got to get her on the show. Yeah, we probably need to do that. Mother's Day is coming up. We'll whip up something. That'd be great. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Please make sure you take a minute to rate, review, or subscribe to Alone With Our Principles on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. You're still here? It's over. Go home.